Welcome back to the Paul Podcast. Another day, another podcast. How many of you believe in God? Hopefully you do. This episode is not about preaching the gospel, although some do need a reminder from time to time. I am talking with Nick Parker, the partnership manager of the Christian Vision Organization. What does a Christian organization do in South Africa, or actually in Africa where there are lots of believers and violence all over the continent? South Africa is still dealing with demons of the past, and listening to Nick and his work, let me say that he helps understand the work done by Christians in the country or abroad. If you follow African politics, you may be aware of the elections coming up this year, this month, in Nigeria. Candidates are judged on whether they are Muslim or Christian. But what does that mean to be Christian? Like in everything, you mix religion with something else, in this case politics, it is deadly in some places. Nigeria, Afghanistan, Iran, Nicaragua, China, and so on. I've been challenged by the Bible to pray for the political leadership, and let's be real, nowadays, it is a tough but necessary thing to do. I applaud the hard work done by faith-based organizations in different parts of the world. On a bright side, having this conversation was uplifting as Nick was sharing how social media is changing evangelism. I mean, who knew TikTok could be a platform of use, right? But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. 1 Corinthians 1.27 This is for TikTok. I will leave you with one of my favorite Bible verses. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Matthew 6, 33. And I know we'll speak to Nick as well. Whether in Cape Town, Durban, or Jabur, do not hesitate to reach out to Nick and see how you can be of help. Obviously, you can do so if you're outside the country. So, this is my fifth talking. A million downloads per episode for this year, and I'll still need your help. Share, share, share. Power Podcast is on all the major podcast platforms, Spotify, Apple, Google, Afripods, Audap, Mifian, Nigeria, etc. Power Podcast via Voice Studios is also on Patreon if you want to support my podcast. Find the link on the show notes. Until next time. Power Podcast is in South Africa today. And uh, funny enough, we'll now be talking about... Uh, how can I say business per se or yeah. arts or anything, but it's a com- kind of a combination of all of that. And it speaks to me on different level. And the first one being uh, a woman of faith. I'm glad to be talking to you, Nick. And uh, before we get, oh, thank you for having me. Before we start, let me ask you to introduce yourself. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. Well, um, yeah, first and foremost, um, my name is Nick Parker. I am, uh, yeah, a follower of Jesus, married uh, to my wife Karen for uh, for ten years this year, actually. Oh wow! And, yeah, <laughs> congrats. A, thank you, thank you. Have a son, Caden. Uh, He's three and a half, and another one on the way. Another boy coming in April. And nice. uh, yeah, as you mentioned, I I live in beautiful Cape Town, South Africa. Born and raised South African. Um, yeah, never lived anywhere else. And uh, yeah, I have the I have the honor and privilege of working for a ministry called Christian Vision. Uh, I oversee partnerships across Africa, but also help to lead our, our global partnerships team as well. So, yeah, really exciting and uh, 
and grateful to be here. Alex, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Thank you. You're welcome. I mean, for me, it's pretty it's pretty fun to, to be able to talk to different people from different backgrounds, obviously. And although I am African, I'm not going to lie, there's some countries where I'm like, I really don't know what's happening there or I have an idea and then I get to talk to some people, obviously, and it's kind of like maybe what the media is telling me or has been telling me for some, some time now. Before I go... What is South Africa, man? Like South Africa is huge. It's a lot of things. Yeah. yeah. Uh, what is your yeah. South Africa? Man, it's so interesting. South Africa is such a unique place. I mean, my point of reference is Cape Town. Uh, I've been living there since I was three. I'm 35 now, so you know it's the majority of my life. I was born in Johannesburg, but yeah, my parents moved to Cape Town for work. And um, the one thing that stands out about Cape Town is that Within, you know, a 30-minute drive, you could either be at the beach or up Table Mountain or in a forest or in, you know, in a wine farm or at a wine farm. Um, so it really is this amazing mix of mm. just kind of everything you'd want in one place, really. Uh, just phenomenal natural beauty. And um, I think if you'd traveled in other parts of Africa and you came to you know, Cape to Cape Town specifically, you wouldn't necessarily think you were in Africa. I think there's a sense to which it, it does have a bit more of a a European feel. Uh, mm-hmm. As someone who's in France, you could probably relate maybe to the south of France, you know, uh, a bit more closer. But at the same time, I think there's still, we still have a massive legacy of, of kind of our, our racial segregation that we went through in terms of, uh, for those of you who don't know, it was called apartheid, um, which ended in 1994 officially when we had our first democratic elections and nelson mandela became president the problem is that we still kind of live in the legacy of that so you know south africa as a country during our time of racial segregation our our then government had looked at what the americans had done in terms of you know racial segregation and they looked at what the the germans had done in terms of even some of the stuff around nazi concentration camps and and you know put those together and, and created like a a super version of um, racial situation. So, yeah, we, we still feel the legacy of that. Um, so, you know, mm-hmm. when you're in South Africa or even just in Cape Town specifically, there is still a sense of, of racial division along specifically neighborhoods. You know, we'll still have areas mm. that are called uh, townships where you'll find low middle class majority uh, black individuals living. Uh, then in South Africa, we have a crude term for someone who's mixed race. We call them uh, colored people. I know that's extremely offensive in some cultures. Uh, in South Africa, anyone who's mixed race falls under the moniker of colored. And so those individuals during apartheid weren't seen as being, they they weren't as oppressed as black people were, but they didn't have the same rights as white people. So they too were, were moved into their own little community and um, so what you find is you still have these pockets of these communities living. So there still is quite uh, a racial divide mm-hmm. in that sense. I would say that it's getting better. So you find a lot more, um, you know, middle class black families moving into your more traditional white suburbs, more kind of suburban living. Example being, you know, my mm-hmm. next door neighbors are black. The people across from me are from Indian descent. You know, it's, it's a very mixed community where I am. Um, but yeah, I think the legacy is still there. And on top of that, um, I think we also have, we're very unique in that we have 11 official languages and we have a very well-established tribal system as well. So you add the legacy of 
racial segregation on top of the legacy of colonization on top of, you know, different tribal backgrounds and also the language difference. And it makes for, it's one of the things that we celebrate the most, you know, Nelson Mandela is famous for calling South Africa the rainbow nation or having this dream of a rainbow nation. Um, but I think it's one of the things that also makes it one of the hardest countries in the world to, to lead. From a political point of view, I think it is extremely difficult. Yeah, but we love it. South Africa is amazing. I love South Africa. <laughs> I love people. Yeah. Hopefully anyone, we're friendly and um, come and hang out with us in South Africa. Uh, we'd, love to, we'd love to have you. It's so funny because it's, I mean, it's a touristic place. Obviously, so many million people come yeah. along and really want to. Obviously, Cape Town and Joburg, more like Cape Town, it's more like, as you said, it's more like Europe. And for me, if I were to come, it would be more like I want to see something else. Yeah. Not, not only the lions, but just, you know, interact with people. And and I spoke with a couple of people, friends from South Africa and uh, Burundians and foreigners who live in South Africa. Mm. And we all have this sense that we can understand what's going on there. Until you live there, it's pretty difficult thing to understand first as a Burundian, we only have one language. So if yeah. we're talking about healing, for example, just forgiveness or things, it's easier to express this in one language and yes. 10 million people will understand it. For you guys, we have to go through... Yeah. <laughs> something has to be lost in translation. Something has to be said twice, three times, four mm. times, or maybe every day for, for kids and maybe young adults to understand that. Last time we spoke, you said that you were the first generation South African. Mm, what does that mean for you? You know, having that because at the end of the day, you could say, "Hey, my grandparents were, yeah, we're not here, yeah." You know? it's, Am it's, I having? Yeah, it's man, that is such a good question, and it's actually something I think about a lot, probably a lot more than people would realize, because I think there is a sense of younger white South Africans do have a sense of of guilt around what happened. And, um, and I think are actively looking at ways to compensate for some of that injustice, uh, you know. But you know, my 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 dad was born in the UK. Uh, he he met my mom in Zimbabwe. It was called Rhodesia at the time. I, my mom was born there to a, a British mother and an Irish father. Um, so the, you know, they were very much beneficiaries of kind of the colonial legacy as well. Mm-hmm. So I think in that sense, I understand. Um, you know, how lucky I am and that I am privileged. Uh, but at the same sense, it's like, it is hard when it's the only country you've ever lived in and it's the only place you've ever experienced. And then to still be isolated and told you're not African is, it's, it's, quite, it's, it's quite hard to take sometimes um, when it's kind of the only place I've ever known. Mm. I would say though that something, something in South Africa that is also people don't necessarily think about as well is that, you know, 1994 wasn't that long ago. I mean, we're, we're what is it, 30, 29 years? Well, maybe it's more. Sorry, my math. I mean, we were six, you know, five, six. Yeah. It's, it's easy to say. It's like yeah. we were born. And the, and the thing is, what you're seeing now is you're only seeing the first generation of, of young people actually not only having an education, but also going to tertiary education. So under apartheid, we had... Uh, what was called Bantu education, which meant black people would only go to school to a certain level or only taught certain things. You know, now we have these first generations of young black people going to school, uh, going to tertiary, you know, being able to study and do masters, PhDs. But what happens is that the way the system was rigged previously is that their parents and grandparents, you know, couldn't have bank accounts. There was no such thing mm. as like a retirement annuity, you know, so they 
they are now dependent on that young person for their own survival. So in South Africa, there's a, there's a, there's a term that's common, often used called black tax, where it's like a young black individual would then be financially supporting maybe not only their parents, their grandparents, or either other family members or community members, because they were like the, the one who've, who's made it, you know. So I think there's also, people don't understand, you know, when, when we talk about, you know, 94, when we talk about democracy, everyone thinks you can, it's, oh, you know, everything's going to be perfect and it's going to change overnight. But there's these systemic legacy issues that will take generations to to correct. You know, so I think there's also an element to that, that, you know, I also understand as someone who is a first generation South African, I still benefit because my parents could have bank accounts and they could, they, they didn't need a passport to like walk around or go to the beach or, you know, so uh, there's an element to that where I go, even though I grew up lower middle class, you know, we didn't have money for anything. Like I, I still am a benefit of that system, you know, so. Um, and and for, for, for us and I guess outsiders, what can we learn about you guys? Because at the end of the day, it's a country that is growing, economically speaking. Yeah. You know, you can say, hey, no country is perfect, be it South Africa, be it Kigali in Rwanda, be it Algeria. Mm. But there is something nonetheless that it's working. Is it faith? Is it, you know what I mean? Like you have to stand on something that says, hey, let's just move on. Because obviously the legacy of Madiba, you can say that. But at the end, who's really following it at this time? Not a lot of people, let's be real. But yeah. what do you see it's really, I would assume it's faith, be it faith in Christ, faith in something. What do you see on your end? It's such a good question. I think a lot of what South Africa benefits from is the fact that we were the most, we're the most, um, you know, we're the most industrialized country, African country. So I think we benefit a lot from that, that we have these systems in place. You know, we we have phenomenal resource in terms of agriculture, both in wine and citrus. Uh, and again, tourism is a big one for us. So I think that's what's kept us going. And I think I'll come back to the faith question in a second. The I think the main things we have in South Africa that benefit us is that we do have, for most part, a, a true working democracy. So other political parties are able to be sworn into power. And we have, you know, there's they. So there is a, a, an element of a, a working democracy. We do have a constitution and a constitutional court that is followed. So it is, the rules are applied and people go mm, before the constitutional okay. court. And I would say the third one, and this is probably one of the biggest ones, is um, the fact that we still have an element of free press. We have a really good journalists that keep our government to account. So a lot of the corruption you've heard about in the last couple of years has come out as a result of really good okay. journalism. Uh, and the fact that we have independent journalism and it's not all state run is extremely beneficial for us. The The flip side of that, and you mentioned the faith question, and, and um, I think one of there's an element to our democracy and kind of post-1994 that a lot of people didn't realize. And that was someone like Desmond Tutu and the and the Truth and Reconciliation Commission that he put together, you know, where a man of faith was saying, we will talk about what happened and there'll be an element of forgiveness. And even in that process, a lot of faith leaders around South Africa got together and prayed specifically. One of the big things that a lot of people were worried about was this retribution post-94, that the the black community would rise up and, and, and you know, aggressively pursue, you know, white people, you know. None of that happened. And there was, I mean, there was this whole thing of like a civil war and, 
and there's phenomenal documentaries of individuals who who were you know in 24-hour prayer meetings and were advising government and were advising political leaders on like how to process this and what to do and and even what they could say that would prevent that from happening and and, and those were all faith um you know active faith leaders you know people involved with their local church active pastors that were preaching on sundays um so it's there's a story behind our transition mm. to democracy that often isn't told and that is that a big reason we had the smooth transition we had was because there was this active investment from the christian community in terms of a peaceful transition of power so yeah that's crazy because now yeah. when you say that it makes more sense to me i guess um so i have to yeah to transition to what you do and before that how did you become a believer believe in christ yeah my my faith story is really is really interesting i was i actually grew up extremely introverted and shy it was my my parents never got divorced you know we always lived kind of low middle class i have a younger sister grew up with um chronic anxiety you know was going to psychologists psychiatrists from the age of 16. it was interesting my parents and i think this was because of a legacy of apartheid a lot of uh white churches would preach about just like justifying racial segregation and oh, my wow. parents weren't really you know they didn't agree with that so um, they, they didn't go to church. We didn't grow up going to church. But my, my parents, my mom would often read me Bible stories. So I had this grasp of like, grasp, sorry, of um, kind of basic Bible literacy. But it wasn't until I was 17 and I was in my second last year of high school. And um, I, I loved music. I, um, you know, I played guitar for years and, um, you know, was in a band. I'm not a very good one, but um, and, uh, a friend invited me and said, hey, we, you know, at this church down the road, we have this band. It plays for free, and I was like, "Man, I don't have a lo- I don't have money, and it's free, and I love music." And uh, and I went. It was to a youth group, and it was it was phenomenal. <laughs> it was phenomenal. It was one of those kind of transformative, you know, uh, evenings where I think for a long time I lived in the shadow of trying to be something I wasn't. You know, trying to you know drinking a lot to be cool, or you know saying certain things to be cool. But I was never okay with just being me and it was the first time where i realized that like you know god has created me as an individual and it was the first time that i was like he loves me and he's made me this way and i can actually just be myself and um yeah that was that was a a massive turning point for me Mm. you know stopped drinking left all that kind of stuff behind um went into my final year of high school you know wasn't part of the partying scene was you know attending youth on fridays or it was sundays actually and just really got plugged into church and I think really just found out who I was. And um, so I went from being this extremely shy, introverted kid to really confident. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, my mom would often say, like, what happened? Like, you've changed so much. And it was like, all of a sudden I had this, you know, I could just be myself. I was just like, well, this is who God's made me to be. And yeah, so that was 2005 and we're in 2023 now. So it's been... Um, been a long time met my wife through our youth group um i um joined a band with members of our youth group and ended up touring south africa playing music and um yeah so i mean yeah best i've ever made and how, how did you end up with christian vision then yeah so christian vision as a ministry uh has has been around since 1988 so doing kind of missions work for, for many years 
And then um, I I'd studied public relations and wanted to go into the event industry, specifically music events. But I ended up working at a, a private school for a while, helping there with some of their production stuff. And uh, a friend of mine had started working at, at, at CV uh, in the marketing department. And he was like, hey, CV's just slowly um, moving away. So for many years, we were a radio broadcaster. We broadcast content in, in Latin America and in, in Europe and all over the world. Again, the idea being evangelism. So to tell people about Jesus. So we mm. used kind of technology, the technology of the time to reach people. And um, yeah. yeah, so in 2013, um, he said, hey, listen, we're making this transition to being more focused on the online space. Uh, we need someone to come around and just basically go around and tell churches and uh, people about what it is that we do uh, to be keen. And initially I said, no, <laughs> I wasn't keen. Um, you know, I thought it was, I thought it was, uh, it didn't sound too uh, fun for me. But I remember very clearly, I can even remember the day where I was very distinctly oh, wow. speaking to me and saying like, if you if you go to CV, you'll be part of something so much bigger than yourself. Um, and so I was like, cool, Lord. And uh, I applied and they took me. So I started off in our, what was called a community team, subsequently became community manager. And then the last two years, overseeing partnerships for for Africa and then also yeah, mm -hmm. helping lead our global partnerships as well. So, yeah, it's been a it's been a fun ride. What is for you a community? Because everybody's talking about we have this community, we have these people, and it's one. By my belief is that it's really difficult to 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 build a community, or at least a sustainable one. And two, to kind of think long term. How did you manage that? Yeah, that's really interesting. So I think there's the way we define community is there's there's three elements to it. So because of the nature of the work that we do as a Christian ministry, there's different individuals who would interact with us on a day-to-day -day basis. So those would often be non-Christians who are engaging with some of the content we produce. Those would be Christian individuals who are engaging with some of our Christian content that we create to help Christians uh, in their own faith-sharing journey. And then the other community would be your more established ministries and churches as entities. And so I think those are kind of the three communities that we work in. And all of them are very, very different in terms of how you navigate that. So, and, and I would say one of the things that we've done over the years is really look at how do you facilitate and foster like genuine community. And because our focus is predominantly online, again, it's, it's been how do we do that in a great way in the online environment. And um, I would say one of the biggest lessons we've learned, and I mean, maybe this is an obvious one, but is that, you know, for a long time, we were, we thought we could create communities outside of existing social media ecosystems. So, you know, out, outside of Facebook and Instagram and TikTok, you know, we could create a platform and people would come to that. And mm -hmm. I think what, what we've learned is that ultimately you have to just be with people already gathering. Yeah. Um, so a big portion of what we do in terms of our community side of work is is really engaging and interacting with individuals in the social channels where they are most comfortable. Uh, mm. Again, the individual that we interact with, the form of interaction we would have would be different depending on the person. So if they're a non-Christian that has questions about faith, the way we would mm -hmm. talk to them and engage with them would be very different to someone who's a question, who is a Christian who maybe just is struggling with 
elements of faith or their own faith bearing mm. their faith. So I would say the biggest learning is is to go to where people are. Mm-hmm. And I, I would say that, yeah, really understanding the difference between those communities. You know, as, as a Christian, it's very easy to use Christian terminology and assume that people have a, a faith yeah. understanding or a biblical understanding. So you can, you know, but if you're, if you're having a conversation with someone who has very little biblical reference, you know, you can't just start throwing out stories about Moses and Abraham, and Jesus, and, <laughs> you know, so yeah, being really intentional about how we communicate in those spaces. When, when I hear like, okay, Christian missionary, it's pretty cool. It's really exciting. You know, you go to these really weird places to say the least, but at the end of the day, not only is the person who, who left the change, but the people on the other side as well. And I like to think that sometimes it's difficult to do to become a Christian missionary in Lyon to my neighbor. You know what I mean? Like it's easy for me to maybe produce something online to send it to you and then you can distribute it. Then me traveling to Amazonia because it's fancy and it's nice. And I want to go to the, you know, I want to see all these places mm. and I want to visit Burma. Yeah. How would you, speak to someone who's maybe 15 16 mm. thinking about joining you or helping you you know in some ways and say maybe you should start with your neighbor start yeah. with your family member who is not there yet yeah wow it's interesting because i think there's this there's this some for some reason there's still this divide between the physical and the digital mm-hmm. i think sometimes we we still see Online communities are somehow not real communities or online interaction is not real interactions. When in fact, in our experience, the best conversations you'll ever have with someone will be online. And mostly it's because it's, it's, um, it's, it's not as threatening. It's, it's very easy to have a conversation with someone online. It's not as intimidating. You're not in front of someone. You, and what we often find is that people are more likely to ask questions and actually share what's really happening in their lives in the online, in the online space. And I, I think because again, it's, it's maybe a little bit faceless and, and some of those conversations can start off really simply. I had a call with um, a guy who's, who's big in TikTok and in, uh, in the UK and he, he's a cr- Christian influencer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, what there you go. it is, uh, he just started off every day. Like he would just say, Hey, like um, he would either just say a prayer on TikTok, like live, or you just say, Hey guys, if anyone, wants to like, um, would love me to pray for them, just let me know. And I think what's nice about that is he's not saying you need to do this, this, and this and become a Christian. He's just saying, hey, listen, you know, whatever you're going through, whatever your background belief is, let me know and I'd love to pray for you. And I think it's a very soft landing for someone uh, who, and I think there's a perception of Christians being quite um, aggressive in our faith sharing. And we, and we forget that it's actually, it's actually just about having a conversation. It's actually just about loving people where they're at, you know, and um, I think there's a perception that, you know, we have to go around shouting at people where I think, I think it's the opposite, actually. It's not showing genuine love for someone, you know, so whether you're at a grocery store and you look at the teller in the eye and you thank them for their day and you say, thank you so much. You're an amazing person. Like, you know, God bless you. You know, all of those things I think are, are really practical ways that we can really be, um, you know, ambassadors for for Christ in a in a really real world way. But but coming back to kind of like the online offline thing, I think again, sometimes the the online is a great place to start a conversation. 
um, mm. uh, because of that barrier. And then you can invite someone to say, hey, would you be keen to like, you know, do mm. the traditional thing of having a coffee or, hey, would you be keen to come and check out a church? Or like, hey, we have this Bible study. It's like a bunch of us getting together. There's no pastor there. We're just going to talk about like what the Bible means. So, you know, it's, it's, it's less intimidating. It's, mm. I think it's also more real, you know, because then you have real people, you know, looking at this book and trying to figure out what it all means and apply it to their lives. So, yeah, I would say that um, just starting conversations is a, is a great way to. That's super interesting because at the end of the day, who will think that ministering on TikTok will work? But it, apparently yeah. it does. <laughs> it's, it's really funny. And I think the reason it works is everyone resonates with the feeling of loneliness. Everyone resonates with like, what is the meaning of life or identity or, you know, with, you know, feeling insecure about something, you know, and if you, we, mm. we all resonate with that. And if you say, Hey man, I'd love to pray for you about that thing. Or like, Hey, like the reason I don't struggle with it is because, you know, I find that my identity is actually rooted in Jesus, like about and what he says about me. And that's what's helped me navigate this, you know? So what I'm saying is there's very, easy ways to navigate these conversations. It doesn't have to be mm. someone on a stage shouting. <laughs> <laughs> the old school way. We've missed mm. that. And uh, do you have like um, young people uh, in your team? Uh, obviously, you and me, we're, I will assume that we are young, but younger people yeah. like 20s, you know, early 20s. Do, how do you speak to them about joining your vision, your mission, actually? Because at the end of the day, it's easy to say, okay, this is Christian mission. We've been around for, for years and let's go, let's do this. But how do you sustain yourself in not only in South Africa, but in Africa and in the world at the end of the day? Use of technology, understand that. But how do you maintain those connect, all those connections to to thrive and to think about what's happening, what's going to come in 20 years, in you know 2050? So I think one where we're really, there's three things I want to mention. I think one is we're really lucky in that we do have great staff. We have phenomenal team members mm. and a lot of them are young and they just bring insane amounts of energy and passion. And, you know, we let them run and sometimes we have to ask them to come back a little bit because they run a bit too far. <laughs> but I really think that that's an environment and a culture we're trying to create uh, within our ministry, you know, is to really, you know, to create an environment where we're not scared to, throw things at the wall and see what sticks or you know there's a famous saying you either win or you learn you know like really create that environment of let's try things let's be innovative mm. let's find new ways of faith sharing creating community you know let's not be scared to try new things obviously we don't start leaning away from like basic orthodox doctrine in terms of our theology and our belief in Christ. but i think we to create an environment that's really appealing to young people and i would say another thing that sets us apart as a ministry is that we run a little bit more like an advertising agency. So we have, you know, very distinct content, marketing and community teams. Um, you know, the way we have weekly meetings, the way we do research, we're a heavily data-driven uh, organization. So we have a global head of data. We're constantly looking at effectiveness. We're A-B testing um, campaigns and products and ideas. Um, so we run very much more in the vein of an agency. You know, it's like an agency with where we pray. <laughs> um, and then um, another thing that we've recently introduced is we actually have a, we've recently appointed a director of innovation. And so the idea is to really look at, you know, what's coming in two, five, and 10 years in terms of 
technology innovations and how do we not only understand that, but how do we implement that as a ministry in order to leverage those technologies for, for ministry work? But at the same time, you know, the, the church is traditionally very bad at adoption, especially in the tech space. So how do we then, how do we then take that understanding of these technologies and then communicate it to ministries and individuals in such a way that they understand it and they're able to then adopt it as well? Um, so we're not just doing the evangelism stuff ourselves. We're also looking at how do we help individuals and churches in their own faith sharing, but also in the whole journey of like online tech space from a Christian perspective. So I would say with those three things make it a lot more beneficial for us in terms of longevity and growth from an internal perspective. And I think from an external perspective, you know, continuing growth with mm-hmm. online communities that are young, again, is communicating and understanding how they consume content, you know, short format content that's bite sizes, comes in short mm-hmm. chunks, you know, is engaging. You know, those are all, you know, elements to uh, what we do that we've implemented and continue to implement in terms of, you know, either building online community or just um, telling people about Jesus. It's like, I hear a lot of things. I hear creativity, I hear innovation. I hear even pioneering stuff. Yeah. You know, it's just, it's it's interesting. Who's with you or who's against you? You don't have to name, I, w- I would say like to name churches, but who who understands your position now? Okay, maybe in five years, Nick will meet in the metaverse, you know. Oh, yeah, I'm excited, yeah. you know. Yeah. Other people will be like, what is that? I'm out. Like, if I don't meet you face-to-face yeah. on a coffee, I'm out. Yeah, man. Well, what a good question. Such a, such a good question. I'm, I'm really glad you asked that because I would say it's one of the biggest frustrations I have personally is that as a ministry, we're, we're not a church. You know, mm-hmm. we, we feel called to tell people about Jesus, but ultimately those relationships that people have should foster and grow within the context of a local church. You know, and, you know, discipleship community all happens within that that setting. And I think what we've seen is we've seen the benefits of using digital technology for telling people about Jesus mm-hmm. and and referring them and connecting them into local churches. But often when we in, connect with local churches around like, hey, we're running, you know, these campaigns or we're doing this work in this country, in this language, would you love to like work with us and facilitate yeah. some of these conversations? And can we refer people to your church? Often that is, that is uh, the response is more negative than positive. And, and I think because traditionally we've done church a certain way and we're just, it's very comfortable and we have a format and I think people are naturally just a little bit scared of the change, even though we're not necessarily changing much. We're just saying we want to connect people from an online uh, conversation to your local congregation. Mm. I will say what's helped though is that uh, for all the negative of COVID, there was one positive and it fast-tracked a lot of techno- technological oh. in, um, adoption. Yeah. So we've seen a lot of churches now mm. being forced to stream, embrace social platforms. But the flip side again is that it's taken a very traditional model of broadcast. So church broadcasting their content as opposed to being actively involved in the community aspect of social media. So I remember, I remember Mark Zuckerberg once when they changed their, their, their slogan from like move fast and break things was like, we want to focus on community. And I think that's the biggest problem is that a lot of churches still see uh, social platforms as a form of just broadcast. It's the old TV model of like, I've got a message. I'm going to broadcast it to you. 
but the very nature of social is that it's it's a dialogue it's a conversation and so what churches need to get better at is it's, is engaging yeah. even mm. sim- simple things like replying to comments like or you know like little things where you know like and um so i think there's an element wow. to there's a there is this gap still between what's possible and then what's accepted by but then you get churches like you know you look at life churches doing with you version and you get some amazing ministries like uh biblica and sil that are doing stuff in um in ai and machine learning and you know, these, these guys are really like far down the line in terms of technology and adoption I would just say that your average, you know, 50 people church is still struggles. Um, and, and maybe that's part of taking them on a journey of teaching and understanding and proving its worth. Mm. Um, but I, I think one of the biggest hindrances to the kind of Western church of the last 10, 20, 30 years has just been a, this idea of you need to come to us. Mm. We're willing to come to you. And again, I think that's manifested in, in, in social platforms as well. It's like, hey, we're going to, bro- here's a banner, come to, like with church times on it, come to us. Here's a, here's yeah. what's and watch it. <laughs> uh, instead of it being us going and actively being involved in those communities. So it's, it's so funny because it's like you're defining servanthood on social media. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's pretty funny because I, at the end of the day, I remember when I was younger, uh, my mom used to take us to a church. I will not name the church because <laughs> it's it's a funny name and, you know, really nice memories. It was so traditional in the way of thinking that I think, I, I would assume that these days they were not even using like PowerPoint to kind of show that the, mm. you know what I mean? Like those are like tough times to deal with when you have to sit on yeah. three hour pew or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> and I wonder if us, when we like, I don't care if you're 30, if you're 60, you could be 60, but really thinking about the future and pushing forward. What type of conversation? Because at the end of the day, if you tell the church, maybe start a TikTok, maybe start hire a community manager. I don't know. Like two, five years ago, mm-hmm. I could have said, oh, come on, me. Like community manager. Now I'm in yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, podcasting stuff and I'm like, I need to hire someone. Like that's not for me because, <laughs> because first I don't like it. And I could, like, if somebody takes care of that, I don't have to spend that much time on Instagram. I could do my work properly. Yeah, but obviously, as you said, you're not a, you're not a pastor, but you are, come, you know, somehow you're, you're doing the job as well. But speaking to people who are in your same space, in your same position, and be like, hey, can we can we focus on not us and our fears and mm-hmm. think about how we can change? Mm-hmm. Because by changing that, it means that you're changing your communities and you're changing South Africa. Maybe you're changing even yeah. Southern Africa. How, how do you start those conversations mm-hmm. if they are happening? They, they are happening. I mean, we recently had a really good interaction with, uh, you know, the Baptist World Alliance, which is one of the covering bodies for the Baptist Church globally. You know, we spoke to them about digital and, and adopting digital and, you know, even having conversations with the World Evangelical Alliance. Uh, you know, they're having gatherings this year. And I think a lot of these gatherings, this is a, a topic of conversation. And I mm. think it's and I think one of the areas we need to work on as a ministry is being able to close the gap between what we know and do and what the local church knows and is able to do. And I think that's that's yeah. a focus for us because we need to make sure that we're taking the church on the journey with us. And I think it's very easy to run ahead 
and forget them behind. And so that's why I said I think it's there's an element of you know where we you know we there's elements we need to learn to get better at as well in terms of communicating. But um, mm. I would say that the conversations are happening. They're probably not happening as fast as a lot of us would like. Um, mm. There's a mm-hmm. there's a VR church uh, run by DJ Soto that's happening out in the US. That's in the metaverse. You know, there's amazing stories of people being baptized and you know coming to Christ. And, you know, so those things are happening, that's but they're nice. happening in it's it's more on the on the peripheral. It's not hap- it's not a mainstream thing. And I think if we're intentional, you know, you know, we you know we're from the African continent. Median age of Africa is 19. We're going to grow up with a, a, a demographic that's disillusioned with the local church. They spend all their time on their phones. Their view of the world is is um, determined by the content they consume. Um, so, if we're not careful, you know, we'll we'll have a whole generation that's growing up, um, you know, finding very materialistic. That's where their worth is, you know. Um, mm. And so, I, 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 that's why I think there's this tension. We're like listen, the church, you, we want to help you on this thing. But at the same time, like if we don't get there and embrace these spaces, like we're going to miss a whole generation. So yeah, there's always that tension, but I think there are really good conversations happening. Uh, one of the things we actually introduced last year was what's called the digital day, where we're looking at kind of some of these innovative technologies and bringing people to kind of present and speak about what they're doing in those spaces. And we'll, we'll host one again at the end of the year. Um, and I'll let you know, It'd be cool. You can come. Um, yes, yeah. please. Yes, uh, absolutely. Uh, I'd love to. My next question would be, because I keep hearing there's a billion people coming to Christ and this revival set that's happening. I, I do believe that it has been happening in Africa for some yeah. time, but I'm seeing even some, some things here in Europe and in Lyon, actually. And I wonder if by that, because a billion people, I remember 10 years ago, would have been like, come yeah, on, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> serious. And then you get to see the use of technology and you're like, oh my goodness, yes, you could be sitting in Cape Town and mm. do something and then it touches yeah. 20 million people. Well, I mean, come on, guys. Can we do that? You know yeah. what I mean? Like, yeah. <laughs> just can we call Elon Musk to send more Starlinks in, <laughs> yeah, exactly. in different spaces in Africa and then yeah. we're able to reach to billions, literally? It's- I mean, it's such a good point. And I think, so Luzon recently, the Luzon movement recently released a, a study where they said the center of Christianity is now Africa. The most Christians per square kilometer are found in, in, wow. in the African continent. And and I think that's very true. You look at countries like Kenya, uh, Rwanda, um, the you know, the Christian population there um, is thriving. And, you know, I've, I was in Nigeria last year. I attended um, RCCG's annual convention. They have millions of people in attendance. We're not talking about, you know, <laughs> yeah. this isn't online. We're talking about physically there in the Physical, room. Yeah. You know, their auditorium is three kilometers by three kilometers. I mean, I was there. I've seen it. It's, you know, and you look at that and you go, there's this perception of Christianity is dying. It's, you know, it's old. It's on its way out. And you're in that environment. And you're like, it is far and from I, it. Nope. And, um, and I think, so what's, what we're seeing now is, is previously we had this sense of West sent missionaries to Africa, whereas now there's this, there's this very um, obvious turning point where now Africa is actually mm. sending mis- uh, missionaries out to the West and also, you know, into parts of Asia and the Middle East. And, um, mm. 
and you know these aren't these aren't individuals who who have some lukewarm version of their faith these are fired up young people who are passionate <laughs> about Jesus and have seen them work in mighty him work in mighty ways in their communities and i would say the other element the point that i wanted to make that you know on what you were saying i think africa is really interesting in that it's the last growth market for for technology and innovation in the sense of connectivity so you'll find that you know they they refer to it as like last mile technology it's a last mile in order to get someone connected to the internet and what we're seeing is because of urbanization and because of this extreme focus by you know silicon valley tech companies you know your googles your facebooks or your metas even elon musk or starlink you know what we're going to see in the next 5 years is this massive adoption of of technology but not just technology i think just using the internet like connectivity you know so there's this there's this thinking that people have like oh deep dark rural africa it's like i was i was in a village in south sudan last year and my phone worked i was you know i i had a friend who was on a zoom call with someone in america and we were in a village in in you know so i think that there is a misconception but because it's a lot wow. kind of growth market there's a lot yeah. of focus around it so you're going to see in the coming years mm. um, multiple really kind of orthodox conservative Christians really coming online and 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 um, saturating the online space. So I definitely think you know Africa is well positioned in that sense. You know to be an influencer. It was quite interesting. I listened to something recently where they were saying kind of the liberal West was very was the loudest voice in terms of like the internet and social platforms but as you as as time goes on you're having more conservative orthodox kind of christians you know adopting these technologies and their voice is actually becoming louder now um so yeah it, it really is huh? it is great and it's needed i mean I live in a world now where I have to define what a woman is and what a man is. It just yeah. tells you how, yeah. how deep dark it is out here. I'll have to talk about the, your work and then South Africa again before I wrap up. Then again, cool. I'll take you back to the faith stuff. I believe South Africans know the Lord. Cool. Uh, Desmond Tutu, you spoke about him, obviously. What is the legacy of his work mm. in terms of spiritual understanding, not to just be religious, but to have a connection, to have a relationship mm. with Christ? And how do you see it's like from 94 growing and changing and changing families? Because to be honest with you, I, mm -hmm. I do have some friends in um, a church here, Hillsong here. And sometimes you talk about South Africa and you're like, oh my goodness, this is like, a, this is really alien to me. I'm not going to lie. Because like, because yeah. at the end of the day, we have three ethnicities in, back home and we only speak one language. It's a small country. It's like... I don't know. It's it could be a yeah. village or a neighborhood uh, compared to, to to South Africa, but still we yeah. do have our troubles. Which we have to deal with. Every mm. time I hear about South Africa, I'm like, oh my goodness, I'm glad I'm Burundian because at least I understand the struggle. Because yours is like, good <laughs> lord, what is this? You know. But still, you do have yeah. people yeah. you have to meet at church. You know, be it black, white, yeah. I don't know, Indians, colored, whatever you mm. call it. It's like you have to meet in a space where you you're you're in the same kingdom, basically. You know what I mean? How, how do you see that changing? Yeah, there's a couple of ways to answer that. I think the first would be to say that South Africa is lucky in that we've always had a great sense of religious freedom. So there's no, you know, we can walk around and, and um, 
speak openly about our, our Christian faith, you know, same as Muslims can go and speak about Islam. And, you know, South Africa is a very kind of religiously free country. I would say its foundation is, is Christian origin, uh, even though the way that that manifested itself through apartheid wasn't great. Um, and I would say that one of the biggest uh, hindrances to kind of the gospel within the context of South Africa is the legacy of, of church and state being together in terms of pushing racial segregation. So, for instance, in South Africa, we have what's called the Enkhiakak, that was uh, that was very much aligned with the apartheid government. It would push racial segregation. So I think there's a legacy where people can sometimes see Christianity through the lens of it's a white thing, it's oppressive. They pushed for this, mm. but on the flip side, I think you mentioned Hillsong. I attend Hillsong in Cape Town, okay. and um, I love it because it's it's honestly the, the congregation I'm in is so diverse mm-hmm. and it's so beautiful and like you know you there's guys from the Congo there and from Zim and there's South Africans. Mm. And and I really feel like in that environment, we're part of something very special because it is really inclusive. So I think for Mm. all the negativity around Christianity and its alignment with previous kind of, you know, racial segregation, there is this phenomenal, you know, unity that's happening through the local church of, you know, the church being active in communities and providing and really just being the hands and feet uh, in communities, offering support, offering education, um, really. And I, I think that's one of the elements of, of, you know, the local church that never really gets spoken about. You know, we're always quick to call about like a pastor who's messed up or, you know, some a church did something crazy. Yeah. But every single day, you know, most food banks are run by local churches, you know, homeless shelters, you know, a lot of all of these things are actually the underpinning of that is is a local church supporting and funding that thing. In fact, mm. uh, you know, during COVID, the South African government reached out to a number of churches to to help with some of the relief work because they knew that they were already active in these spaces and they were the best equipped. You know? So, again, those aren't the stories that are told very often. But uh, it's the truth, you know. I think there's mm. a, as a as a country, we we uh, take for granted our, our Christian heritage and our Christian faith, and also don't think about the likes of, you know, the Truth and Reconciliation Commission and what Desmond Tutu did as a as a believer and his voice in the nation at that time, you know, speaking into Mandela's life and um, guiding some of those conversations. So we have an amazing legacy, Ooh. but at yeah. the same time, again, we're dealing with all these other issues and. Um, you know, but um, I would say that the, the most important thing is that ultimately, you know, the church is preaching that Jesus, we are made in God's image, no matter who we are, no matter the color of our skin, that he loves us unconditionally. We're called to love him and to love people. And I think if we just get that right, mm. like there will be phenomenal change uh, across our, not only our country, our continent, but also our world. And this is my last question, because uh, there are two things today. Happy Valentine's Day to you and your wife <laughs> one thing oh, yes. <laughs> who remembers that uh yeah me uh yeah. and then because you're you're wearing a really nice t-shirt that says loved you know and i want to ask yes. you two things this thing what is love for you because my definition obviously is not to say that we don't believe in like marital love obviously there is that but the definition of bible mm-hmm. that i really like is that it's a friend that lays his life for you yeah it's really yeah. great it's really yeah. beautiful what yeah. is for you Wow, man, what an amazing question. What is love? I think it's hard to truly express what love is 
until you've first been loved unconditionally. And um, I think when you realize that Jesus, the Son of God, that God loves you, like that you are made unique, and that no matter what you do, He still loves you. And I think I've experienced a little bit of that as being a father, but to understand that there's a God who loves me, He created me, you know, he, His greatest desire is to have a relationship with me. It's from that place of understanding that that love, that then I can not only experience love, but then also show love to under, others um, based on based on that, you know. So I think, yeah, I would say that's probably the, the kind of the the main thing for me. Yeah, that's really cool. And what can we wish for you then for 2023? Man, I, well, as I said, I'm going to be a dad. I'm going to, for the second time, another little boy coming. There my wife, uh, we're having a baby and then moving house the next month. So um, Ooh, quite, a lot, quite a lot of travel. So, yeah, just be thinking of me with all of that. I think it's going to be. Uh, <laughs> You'll be staying in Cape Town still? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Staying in Cape Town. Cape Town. Okay. Man, it's, I keep joking. It's the promised land. You know, we, you know, it's <laughs> funny, so, um, yeah, we need to meet in Burundi and in Cape Town. That's for sure. I'd love to, Burundi is one of, is the only East African country I haven't been to. So maybe you needed me. I'm coming. And what books do you read or do you, can you just introduce to, to the, uh, to the listeners to read maybe something? Oh man, I am, I'm a massive fan of, of Malcolm Gladwell. I just love the way that oh, he, okay writes and then he looks at the world so i i read a ton of i read his um uh, talking to strangers book not too long yeah. ago and there's another book called bomber mafia and mm-hmm. i think just his perception on the world uh and then also kind of in that same vein someone like adam grant who's also i, I love i love um i see psychology and mm. you know, corporate psychology and understanding that kind of stuff and then i think also you know from a christian perspective books like a case for christ uh, there's mm-hmm. another book called Evidence That Demands a Verdict. You know, really books where individuals have wrestled with, you know, is Christianity real? And if it is real, what does it mean? You know, like, um, I think those have also really helped me. There's another one by C.S. Lewis called uh, Mere Christianity, which is oh, a yeah. great one. Um, yeah. You know, so those are those are kind of been on my reading list recently. I'm, I'm, but I'm also just a huge fan of biographies. And um, so I love reading up about people's lives and, and, um, I love it. Yeah, learning. So hopefully we'll be reading about yours and your. Oh my goodness. Work maybe in five, ten years. Oh Who knows? my goodness. I'm pretty sure you have lots of <laughs> testimonies there. You're like yeah. you're just hiding under the. Oh know. my goodness. So. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Thanks a lot for your time. Really, God bless you. Oh, Alex, no, thank you. You are absolutely amazing. Thank you. And people don't know this, but you reached out to me on LinkedIn. How crazy! I mean, and um, I mean, yeah, you made this happen. Thank you. Absolutely. And for people who really want to talk to you, still who want to learn about it, you know, I mean, you're really responsive. And I think less than 10, 10 hours afterwards. No, I think I, re- I mean, you're quick. Yeah, I yeah. can't even remember, but yeah. It's, LinkedIn's my, uh, <laughs> Me too. So place. God bless you. And I really want to, yeah, I really want to encourage you in, in, in what you do because it's, I saw Christian Vision on LinkedIn. It's not really something that you get to see. You get to see the Goldman Sachs and the BNP. And I was like, oh, I, I want that. You know, I want to hear about this. And, and there you go. This is what we do. And yeah, Parole Podcast. Thanks a lot. Take care. Thank you.